listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Let me add my welcome. My name is Mark Kirkendall and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus and I'm fortunate to be able to deliver teaching almost each week here. If you have your Bibles, whether a, a paper copy or in your electronic device, once again, the book of Galatians. You remember, go eat popcorn. Uh, find the middle, G Galatians, we're in that first set there. You know, everyone here this morning shares something in common. Whether you um, are young or whether you are younger, uh, you are male, female, no matter your education, background, no matter your financial situation, we all have a past. And we might could even say, hopefully some of us could even say, former life. Listen, I have a past that some of you have no clue about. Some of it I keep really hidden, but some of it I'll share. First of all, probably you didn't know that in my former life, I was a baseball phenom. In fact, Vardaman's Furniture Store was glad to have me on their team, and so they were proud to sponsor me, plus 18 other boys. But nonetheless, I was a Vardaman's Furniture Store. Uh, person for their baseball team. You also probably don't know this about me, but I used to be a pool shark. I learned at a young age, and uh, I was stylish, but, you know, I was a, a pool shark. You also probably don't know that I gave Jim Carrey the idea for the haircut of Dumb and Dumber. You know, see, you didn't know that in my former life. I did that. Now, really what happened is my dad thought it would be a great idea to give me a haircut. My dad is not a barber. Uh, the night before school pictures, and when the hair dried, that's what was left. You also don't know this about me, but I was the inspiration for the look of Harry Potter. I really was. I'm the one that set that up. Lastly, as you probably didn't know this about me, but I used to be a rad guitar player. I mean... I could shred it with the best of them. And, uh, you know, we all have things in our past that create what we could call our former life. I'm no longer an incredible baseball star as much as I wish. I thankfully no longer support the Chili Bowl haircut. I got rid of the Harry Potter glasses, and I no longer shred guitar. But everyone, everyone has a past. But here's the truth. Some of us... Some of us will never get to move beyond our past. Some will never be able to say, my former life. But others get to. And so this morning, I want us to see from Paul. We're going to be in Galatians 1. We're going to pick up in verse 11. But we'll see from Paul that he was one that got to move past his past and was able to say, my former life. Now, last week, we talked about the biggest question the world has or ever will answer. The largest, the biggest question there ever will be is how is a sinner reconciled and made right before a holy God? We saw from Galatians that a sinner is only justified in God's eyes through the finished work of Christ 
And we talked about at length this great exchange that happens. Because us as sinners, we've got two major problems to deal with. One, we come into this world with inherited sin from Adam. But we also commit sins ourselves, personal sins. And our sins have to be dealt with. God can't just overlook sin and say, you know what? Oh, they really didn't mean it. Or, you know what, sin, it's just not that big of a deal. I can let that one slide. Every single sin, as small as we may think it is, every single sin has to be dealt with by God. All sin must be punished. But the other problem we have, and yes, we could, God takes our sins and He deals with those, He punishes them. But we have then done nothing in ourselves. We actually have no righteous acts that God would ever look at us and say, in you is goodness. And so God has to deal with both of these problems. So God, through His redemptive plan, He takes both of these together. God the Father sent His only Son to live the life that we never could have lived of perfect righteousness. God the Father also, He poured out all of his punishment for my sins and your sins, the sins of the world. He, he poured them out on his son. He did not leave one sin undealt with. But Jesus, so he takes our sin as if it was his own. He says, I will own that. But then he turns around and he then gives us his perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness. He gives that to us. So the big question is, how do those benefits of Christ's life, death, and his resurrection, how do those become ours? How do we get our sins dealt with and also receive his perfect righteousness? And it's through faith in Christ based on nothing, nothing that we do. Our works could never make us righteous enough. In fact, Scripture says, your best of your best on your best day is nothing but filthy rags. So Christ takes our sin and then he gives us his perfect righteousness. And that was Paul's point last week. So last week we saw the the cause of justification. This week we're going to begin looking at the effects or we could say the results of that justification. And what happens when a person, when that person can say my former life. So let's pick up in verse 11. We'll make it through uh, this chapter, uh, but then next week we will revisit it again. But we're going to be venturing into the book of Acts to get a lot of the history. But this is how it begins. For I would have you know, brothers, so people he loves, people he identifies with, he cares about them, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the gospel that that, that Paul received was by revelation of, of Jesus himself. The gospel he wants to make sure we understand is not something that he heard from man. But what is a man, what could be a man's gospel? Or you could say, what is good news? Because that's what that word means. What is good news to men and women? We see everyone has a version, their version of the gospel. A person's gospel can be whatever makes them happy. 
A person's gospel can be whatever they feel is their purpose in life. A, a person's gospel or good news could be me to have as much comfort as I possibly can have. It could be for me to obtain as many things that bring me joy. That could be my good news or to gain prestige or importance. That, that could be my gospel. But Paul knows that there is something going on here. Because a person, we all, we're, no one is immune to this, that we will pursue, we will sacrifice, and we will work toward whatever our gospel or our good news is. We will set that as the end goal, and now we'll do whatever I need to do to get to my good news. For Paul, former Saul, his gospel or his good news was being the best or the most honored Jew he could possibly be. And Paul was good. Let's look at the next verse in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life. Now we are going to talk about a lot of things this morning. But right here in these few words is what I want to make sure that we do not miss. Paul says, you have heard of my former life. So Paul is a man with a, a horrific past. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But Paul knows that now there is nothing that he has to hide from anymore. Paul says, I'm going to lay it all out there. My former life. Paul knows even as bad as his past is, Paul knows there is no condemnation for him. But how is, that, how is that possible? How is it possible? Because a person, um, their past, it always seems to follow them. I mean, there's evidence of our past that we then get to use to embarrass ourselves later on. But we all have a past. But Paul says, my former life, he doesn't have to hide from it. How does that happen? Well, I believe it's this. is that it is not just that God looks upon the life of Paul, and he says, you're guilty, I forgive you. But God looks at Paul, and he doesn't just say, you're guilty, I forgive you. He says, not guilty. Paul is not only forgiven, Paul knows that he is pronounced as innocent. Now listen, if, if, if you are in Christ... If you have placed your faith and your trust in the finished work of Christ for your salvation, you're not only forgiven, you're innocent. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that is hard for me to fathom because I, I, can, I can somewhat wrap my mind around being forgiven or, or forgiveness. Not fully, but in some ways I can, I can kind of grasp that. But God looks upon my sinful life and, and He has forgiven me. And I can, I can, I can begin to, to understand that. But not only does God look at me and says, You're guilty, I forgive you. He looks upon me and He says, Not guilty. He looks on me and He says, Righteous. That. I don't know if I'll ever understand that. But this morning, if you are... In Christ, know that God looks at you and He doesn't just say, you're a forgiven sinner. 
No, he looks at you right in the eye and he says, righteous. He looks at you and he says, innocent, blameless. And Paul announces, he says, listen, I've had a former life. I have one in a life where he was guilty and an unforgiven sinner. But now he stands righteous in the eyes of God. And Paul no longer has to fear that former life. Let me ask you this morning. Can you honestly say, can you say that I have a former life? And man, by the grace of God and in alone, I can say, yes, I, I have a former life. Now, listen, my former life, it doesn't include persecuting or murdering Christians. But you know what it does include? It includes living for my own selfish ambitions. It does include being unable to forgive people. It does include trying to gain God's acceptance by my works. Are you able to say, yes, I have a former life? So look at Paul's. It begins by saying, um, you remember that I had a former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was that for the traditions of my father. Listen, Paul, Paul had a great resume. He had a great pedigree. In fact, listen to what Paul says about his credentials in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, Though myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, just put yourself up against me. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, You want to talk about that? A Pharisee right here. As to zeal, you think you have it? A persecutor of the church. Let me see you do that. And as to to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, Paul thought he had it all. Paul thought he had the right background, the right education. He's like, yeah, you want to go to my past and vet me? You'll find nothing. I mean, Paul was a prized student of Gamal. Gamal was this highest member of the Sanhedrin. And if you could get close to him, and Paul was his student. In fact, his best student. It also says that Paul was advancing beyond his years in Judaism. But I want you to notice what religious zeal can do to a person. Paul was a devout Jew. In fact, Paul would have been one, he had the entire Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Now, most of us don't even make it to Leviticus in our Bible reading, much less through it. Numbers and Deuteronomy. He had the whole thing memorized. That would have included the law of Moses. And that's what that phrase, traditions of my father, it means the law of Moses. Or what we might most commonly refer to as the Ten Commandments. Just let me read 
the first six. No other gods before me. Do not make a graven image, or we would say idols. Do not take the Lord's uh, name in vain. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother, the one we all love as parents. Number six, you shall not murder. So Paul, he would have known the law frontwards and backwards. He had it all down. He would have prided himself on keeping the commandments. In fact, he says with the law, righteousness under the law, you hold me up to it. He says blameless. Paul was great at that. And even better than anyone else. Now, let's reread verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So Paul was actively persecuting the church violently, trying to destroy it. Paul was known for murdering Christians. So Paul was so zealous for the law that he broke the law to keep the law. And that's what happens with zeal sometimes. It shows us that man-made and man-focused religions are blinding. I don't know if you've ever met a self-righteous person. I've been one. I I, I remember the moments. But here's what all self-righteous people have in common. Self-righteous people. Uh, can easily notice someone else's faults, and they are hypersensitive to how others and their shortcomings and their faults, but they're never aware of their own. I mean, they're just blinded. They are blinded by their own lives, but they can notice the faults in everyone else. And a self-righteous person does life the way life should be done, according to them. So notice Paul, he had all the zeal and the faith a person could have. Paul had so much conviction about what he was doing. He was willing to break the laws he was so zealous for. And this shows us that it isn't the amount of faith or zeal you have in something that matters. Because Paul had it all. What matters is in whom the faith and the zeal are placed in. You can have all the faith and the zeal in the world, but if it is not in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. Because man-made religions emphasize human merit and the necessity of human works for salvation. But Paul, oh, he received a different message. The message that says a person is justified by the finished work of Christ, not human works. So Paul is writing, he's penning this letter to the Galatians, trying to win them back from this false teaching of a work salvation. He's trying to show them that the power of the gospel is seen in the reality that it is not man-made. Man could not make this up, but it is God-made and it is sent by him. And Paul, he's going to say, listen, let me, let me lay it on the line. Let me be your example. And Paul's going to reveal something to his readers. Look at 15. But when? When he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Now Paul, he knows that God had a plan for him all along. 
Paul says he was set apart from the womb for God's purposes. But this kind of causes a dilemma. Because you see, for years, Paul was roaming around Israel and he was killing Christians. But he says, I was set apart before I was born for God's purposes. But you think about that God allowed Paul to do all of these horrible things. I mean, it shows us how patient and long-suffering God really is. God allowed Paul to do horrible and evil things. But God had a plan. God had a plan for Paul all along. Look at the plan. It was at the appointed time that God called him by his grace. So once again, it is not based on Paul's works, even his passion or his zeal that God called him. It was by his grace, totally undeserving of Paul. In fact, Paul's one of the biggest enemies the church ever had. But Paul, he wasn't called according to how well he kept the law. That Paul said, I was blameless in that. He wasn't called based on how pure he kept his life. He was not called because he was even a great Jew. In fact, Paul does not bring anything to the table. In fact, he was called by God's grace. I think this also shows us that if God can call Paul, he can call anyone. But this next line is what is so amazing to me. Remember how much an enemy of of God Paul was. I mean, Paul was the one that everyone feared. And we'll look at that next week because Paul comes to town. And man, people are still a little nervous. I mean, Paul threw people in jail. He even murdered people for following Jesus. In my eyes, the best thing for God to do would be, I don't know, take Paul out by a runaway donkey. Because, I mean, that'd be a lot easier. You've got someone that is persecuting your people. Just take him out. But look at what God does. God says in verse 15, or Paul says, I was set apart before I was born. He who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me. I went into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. It pleased God to reveal his son to Paul. I go, really? God, it pleased you? He says, yes, it pleased me to call Paul. I mean, it brought God pleasure and joy to reveal his son to this enemy Named Paul. Now, why in the world? How, how could that possibly please God? Because God knows what happens when He reveals the truth about who He is and His salvation to sinners. God knows that His grace is irresistible. And God loves, He is pleased. It brings Him joy to release that on a person because He knows in the end. I will prevail. So listen, because Paul, he, Paul knew Jesus, or at least about him. Paul probably had even, in fact, I believe he had heard the gospel. 
Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen, where Stephen lays out an incredible gospel presentation. And when Stephen was stoned, you know what it says of Saul? Saul says approved of killing him. But it was not until on that road to Damascus that God opened his eyes and heart to see the truth about who Jesus was and what he had done. So Saul and the Jews, I mean, they thought they had proved that Jesus wasn't the Messiah by killing him. But now Paul had the veil removed from his eyes and his hearts to see Jesus as the promised Messiah. So God reveals his son to Paul, and when that happens, everything changes for him. Paul went from destroying Christians to being used by God to make more Christians. And it's also fascinating to see how God works. Because God had before him a truly converted Jew. I mean, God had Paul now who knew Jewish talk. He knew the Jewish traditions. He knew the Jewish diets. He probably even knew the Jewish handshakes. Who would be better used by God to bring the gospel to Jews? Who would you? I mean, when I'm thinking, I would think, oh man, that has got to be Paul. Paul knew them. He was one of them. He could relate to them. But God had a different plan. God sends Paul to not those that are like him and he can easily identify with. But God sends Paul to the Gentiles. And this shows me that God has a plan for each and every one of us. That God placed Paul right where he wanted him for a specific purpose. That means God has you right where you are. It doesn't mean you won't change. It doesn't mean you won't move. It doesn't mean you might not get a job at a certain time in the future. But where you are right now on this day, God has you there for a purpose. You're in your neighborhood. Now listen. You're there because you like the house or you like what's going on. No, God has you where you are to be around those neighbors. God has you as a parent. And your kids are involved in, in, in ball games and sports and gymnastics and all kinds of recitals. You know what? Yes, you're there to support your child. But you know what? I honestly believe God has you there to also be around those parents. God has placed you right where you are in this church for a reason. God has placed you where you are in all the areas of your life to accomplish His purposes. Because remember, it's His gospel, not ours. But hear me. You're not to care for those in your neighborhood. You're not to encourage those parents at your kids' ball games and on those teams. Or to even share the gospel with your neighbors to earn God's acceptance of you. But the outflow that you have been accepted should be to honor God with our life. And so now look at the last several verses. I'm going to read them and uh, make a couple of just kind of thoughts about it. Because really next week we're going to dive into this section of Paul's life. And there's how it goes. Then after three years. After three years I finally I, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or Peter. And remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, uh, uh, for I would still be unknown to the person of the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only, 
They were only hearing it said. He used to persecute us and now he is preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You know, next week we're going we're gonna to look at this in a lot more detail. So we're going to venture into the book of Acts and we're going to see what's happening with Paul when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. When he goes, even before he goes on that missionary journey through Galatia. So I want to close with a couple of thoughts. In these verses, these, these few verses here, I, I was overwhelmed this week by just a few things. One, it, it is not the amount of faith or zeal or passion that a person has. I mean, Paul, he had all the faith, all the zeal, all the passion that anyone could want, but it was misplaced. It, it is not the amount of faith that you have, but in whom your faith is placed in. And then I'm seeing, I'm thinking this week that our hearts, they, they so long to attach themselves to something. I mean, as infants, you come into this world and you're longing to be close to your mother and father because our hearts long to attach themselves to something. But your heart and my heart will be enticed and it will be drawn by many things. And we must often be asking, what is my heart longing for? Because I was so reminded this week by meeting with a family about how enticing and attractive sin is. Because listen, you can come up in a great home and great schools and all the right things like Paul. But sin is so enticing. No one is immune from the control of sin. It does not matter what family, what environment, what school, or even what church you are a part of. Satan is alive and well. He wants to entice your heart away from Christ. But the great news is that no one, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. It is irresistible. Because if God can call an enemy like Saul, then he can call anyone. But of all the words, of all the words in this passage that encouraged me this week, it was my former life. And to think as horrific as Paul's past was, and I have nothing that compares to that. But he knew that he didn't have to hide from it anymore. He laid it all out there for people. Because Paul understood that he was not only forgiven, but he understood that he had been declared innocent and blameless. And Paul rested in that. He knew he didn't have to hide from it anymore. So let me ask us this morning, are you able to say, my former life? Because if you can't, I would ask you to call out to God this morning to give you the faith to believe. But if you can, if you can say, yes, I, I, by the grace of God, I have a former life. I would say celebrate and rest in that. Because you know, heaven, it is going to be full of people that know they have no claims to be there on their own. But it will also be full of the same people that will be able to say, I am only here because of Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, uh, your grace that reaches to the heavens.
It is one that is irresistible. When you release that grace on a person, you will win. Lord, we see that in the life of Paul. And in his life, we see that no one, no one is beyond the reach of your grace. And for those, though, that are here this morning that know that, that can say, yes, I have a former life. Are they helping to realize they're not only forgiven, but they are pronounced innocent and blameless and help them know they are righteous in your eyes. Now, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that would say, no, I, I, I don't think I have that. Lord, would you grant them the faith this morning to believe like Paul did? And so, Father, we look forward to that day that we know we'll be able to stand for those that are in Christ, resting in nothing of our own, that we have no claims to heaven, but we will be able to say that we are here in Christ alone. The Father, it is in His name, and by the power of Your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.